Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. Just before we share today's episode, I want to ask you to sign up to the Let's Talk Loyalty email newsletter. Our email newsletter is by far the best way for us to keep you up to date with all of the latest incredible loyalty stories we're sharing each week. It's also the easiest place for you to find our show notes with links to everything mentioned in all of the episodes. You can sign up at letstalkloyalty.com. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Let's Talk Loyalty and Loyalty TV, featuring a platform which was described to me as one of the best kept secrets in the industry. Loyalty Methods is the firm behind such iconic programs as Seven Rewards, MGM Resorts and Western Union Rewards. And I think they have a very unique approach in a number of key areas that I think are incredibly important to those of you listening who run huge programs like these. The two areas I found most fascinating are their methodology and approach to de-risking a loyalty program that has decided to replace its underlying platform, as well as the way they think about their product roadmap. Joining me today to share these insights, as well as their background, methodology, and some key success stories is Emile Sarkissian, CEO of Loyalty Methods. I hope you enjoy our conversation. And if you're listening today on our podcast channel, I want to encourage you to take the opportunity to also watch our conversation on video on our new channel, www.loyalty.tv. Thanks for watching. Hello, Emil Sarkissian. Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty and Loyalty TV. Thanks, Paula. Great to be here. It's really wonderful to have you here. I feel like we need to credit our mutual friend, Phil Rubin, actually, for connecting us. Yes, I would say so. <laughs> Absolutely. Sometimes I feel it's a very small world in loyalty, and then I discover guys like you, and you're doing such incredible work, and we haven't had a conversation. So we're here to put that right. Lots to hear about. I know you're doing some incredible work. So first of all, I'm going to kick off with our usual opening question, Emil, which I know is quite a sensitive one for somebody who is working uh, so extensively in the industry. But nonetheless, that's what makes it interesting for us. So first and foremost, Emil, tell us what is your favorite loyalty program? Oh, dear. Yes, it is, it is a loaded question. Um, so before I answer it, I will just prefix um, this answer with um, just you have to keep in mind that, you know, I, I actually exist in the loyalty world in three different roles. And one is the consumer, yeah. uh, which just enjoys the loyalty program benefits. And one is the marketer who kind of thinks about how to do this from the marketing side, from the brand side, and yeah. also the technologist who actually tries to bring it together technically. So uh, yeah. when I look at a program, I, I sort of appreciate it in, in many different ways. And so, um, again, I, I generally have a lot more knowledge about the programs we're working with and how they, they're internally set up. So yeah. I would say that, um, you know, I would, I would reference one of our customers and it's going to be the seven rewards. Mm -hmm. And the reason, yeah, I, I have lots of reasons to, to say that this is a really, really interesting program and very well done because, yeah. um, you know, we, we've been on this uh, digital 
you know, journey with them for a while now, for about five years or so. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the amount of stuff that they've done is amazing. They are basically um, have created a rich experience for their customers. Um, there's, there's a lot of mechanics and a lot of tactics that they can utilize, like streaks, clubs. Yeah. Um, they're using uh, a lot of, um, you know, they have the, now the digital wallet. So they've, they've made it frictionless. They've made it very easy for consumers to engage. And they've made it very, very interactive. So everything that you do on this program is sort of, you know, sort of giving you feedback and sort of driving you yeah. uh, to, to do more and brings brand to, to, to your mindset and all that. And, and technically, they're also very, very proficient. We work with a very agile, very fast-paced team. And so I would mention also one other thing is the velocity of this program, how, how quickly it changes and to react to market conditions and to exploit opportunities and yeah. to counter any, any trends. It's just amazing how fast it works. I mean, it changes literally almost daily, right? And they can they can roll out changes daily on our platform and and yeah. and, and make really fast adjustments across a very very large number of stores. You know, something like ten thousand stores um, or so between the U.S. and Canada. Yeah. Right. So again, an amazing at scale. You know, technology wise, very very tight. Um, you know, a, a large huge volume, lots of velocity on the program. You know, hard to do all these things at once. Yeah, definitely. Yes, you're, you're, it's, it's an exceptional example, Emil. So absolutely, <laughs> thank you for raising it. Uh, we've had 7-Eleven once on the show before. We're actually mm-hmm. going to have them back on again. But I do remember having a little bit of a glimpse into the, the genius of what uh, you guys are doing together. I used <laughs> to judge genuinely the International Loyalty Awards. And of course, you know, I'm bound by confidentiality, as are you, <laughs> in terms of really the some of the performance. But as a judge, I did get to see a little bit of the incredible uh, deliverables mm-hmm. and the returns on investment for the, the seven rewards program. So yes, we can only continue to wish them well. And when we get into some of your USPs, I guess, as a platform, I also remember mm-hmm. when we, last time we met, um, you know, when you did take on that program, uh, you actually did have to build it, you know, uh, literally, I guess, in parallel with their, their previous program completely. Absolutely. So, uh, so we'll get into that story in a bit more detail, but mm-hmm. yes, well, congratulations to you guys for getting the seven rewards business, both in the U.S. and I think internationally as well, Emil. Am yes, I- absolutely. Yes, we yeah. have the U.S., Canada and international across you know the world. So uh, it is, yeah, it's getting all what? of the different pieces. Mm-hmm. So tell us on earth, how did you get here? I mean, that has to be one of the you know programs that every tech platform wants to build and run. But uh, take us back to the starting point, Emil. Where did you come from? I suppose both you know personally and professionally to get to where we are today. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it's a long story, but I'll try to keep it short. Um, I, I was born in Bulgaria, and uh, you know, I, I was always uh, you know since I was twelve, I was trying to write computer games and things, and so I was always in IT uh, to begin with. Okay. And then uh, fast forward, you know, to college, I, I went to um, the University of Teesside in, in England. Mm-hmm. in Middlesbrough and uh, did uh, my information technology undergrad there mm. uh, and then came to the U.S. Um, just around the, the, the Y2K, you know, and everything and sort of, um, yeah. you know, ended up staying here okay. um, with uh, and doing an MBA and so on. And so it's essentially my 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 trip was sort of uh, <laughs> several countries to come here. But, but when I f- finally uh, sort of uh, started my career here. I, I was working in CRM at first at a, at a large bank, yeah. and um, I was, you know, essentially um, 
drawn to the idea of, of doing something interesting with, with, with not just CRM, but also combine CRM and marketing and sort of drive yeah. engagement, you know, in, in an interesting way. So when mm-hmm. the, the opportunity for loyalty came around and actually the, the platform we were working with at that time was, was uh, Oracle Siebel, you know, okay. rolled out loyalty. Uh, I saw the opportunity along with, with uh, my business partner at the time to, to create um, this, this company to actually help companies build these programs. Now, in those days, and that was two, 2007, six, seven. Oh. Um, you know, loyalty was just really a thing that airlines did and hotels did. And it wasn't really big in retail or, or elsewhere. Yeah. At least not as, not as visible as it, as, as it is now in so many industries. And so, yeah. uh, at that time we started with Alaska airlines as our, our first customer and, um, their, their mileage plan. Mm. Uh, and, and that was successful in 2008. Okay. And shortly after that, so we were basically a service company at the time, just doing the integration piece. And so we realized very quickly how difficult it is actually to make that kind of change in any company of any significant size. Yeah. Right. And so, um, so that, that, you know, that service business was going on and we were working with all these platforms that were somebody else's platforms and, uh, cloud was just beginning. I mean, Amazon was, um, Amazon web services and those kinds of things were just kind of revving up around that time. And so uh, a few couple of years into it, and by the way, I should mention that we were based out of Seattle. So I knew some people here that were working in AWS and uh, we, we sort of started understanding that this was going to change things quite a bit and that the platforms that were built, you know, before cloud were yeah. really not easy to put on cloud. We tried that and, uh, you know, it, it worked up to a certain point, but we really thought that, that you know, yeah. if we wanted to make a truly um, engaging uh, cloud-ready sort of cloud-first solution, mm. uh, we'd have to start from scratch. And so that's what we did with our Reactive CX platform. And and that was the, yeah. you know, the, the genesis of, of that, you know, uh, is really to to try to yeah. move the technology along with the, the available infrastructure that was, was beginning to be very pre- prevalent at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, that's our kind of story. And, and, and again, uh, 7-Eleven was, um, uh, an early adopter for, for Reactor CX, our platform, and um, I'm glad they were because a lot of engagement with them yeah. at the beginning drove a lot of our thinking about what matters and how to scale, you know, yeah. early on, so that we can build this in from the start rather than, yeah. you know, um, you have it as an afterthought or worry about it later when we bump into some huge custom. It was the biggest. We actually pretty much started with the biggest thing that was out there in retail, so um, which was very lucky, I think, but also very challenging. Right, in a, in, a, in a good way. Well, yeah. lucky and challenging, Emil. I think you're <laughs> being very humble, in fairness. There's something they saw that was unique. And as you said, I mean, I certainly know nothing about technology, as you know, um, but I'm interested in your approach and the sheer <laughs> fact that a brand like 7-Eleven chose to partner with essentially probably a startup at the time and mm-hmm. I suppose build a partnership and a technology solution together that evolved at their incredibly fast-paced needs and based on a vision that you had. I mean, it's a remarkable story. So given that I don't understand technology and, you know, we don't really talk about features on this, <laughs> yes. I think pretty much everybody can can guess that you do all the basics, earns and burns and whatever we, we needed to. But I think what impressed me in, you know, I suppose on the business side as somebody who's run programs was two particular things. But the first one was this idea of how to de-risk what is a very complex implementation. And this is the story we alluded to in terms of 7-Eleven. 
it already mm-hmm. have a platform in place. But will you just talk us through how you decided to implement that? Um, given that, you know, obviously the business has to continue. Loyalty program mm-hmm. cannot stop and start. So how did you decide to de-risk it for them? And, and I know that's part of your framework and methodology now for the clients you work mm-hmm. with. Um, this, is, this is a very good question. And uh, I will start with, you know, uh, the only way that, that you, we, we were able to, um, so uh, of course, every, every startup or every, every sort of early uh, product set has compelling features that look great. And it's like, hey, you know, this would yeah. really be cool to have. Uh, but then, uh, you know, as you know, these, these large enterprises, you can't make a decision on something like that lightheartedly without thinking about, hey, is this company, has they, have they seen scale? Do they, will it work? You know? So, uh, so I think the big thing that we offered them that actually completely changed uh, their thinking about that was that we were actually um, able to give them a plan and also supporting tool set that would allow us to run our system in parallel in the background without anyone else seeing it and clone all their traffic, everything that they're doing and yeah. sort of run it in the shadows, kind of, you know, and let them experience our system mm-hmm. in parallel with real production traffic, you know, with all the volume across all the stores uh, without actually having to switch to it unless they're absolutely ready and ensure that this is great. Yeah. And that, they, you know, and that it's equivalent, that the balances are matching, that everything is working right, all yeah. the, the things that, you know. So essentially the ability to stand up a parallel solution like that Mm-hmm. And to uh, to to run head to head with the current system uh, over a period of time, uh, mm-hmm. you know, is is a, allowing them to. So it's also so sort of like try before you buy kind of deal, you know, where you just you could walk away if you decided that hey, this isn't working for us, or you know, it's it's not scaling enough, or it's falling behind, or you know, yeah. it's inaccurate, or any of those things, right? So so giving that confidence and providing the methodology, and again, there's a tool set that goes with it, yeah, uh, that allows this this um, this to happen. I think completely removed that risk uh, mindset from their yeah. from their consideration and said, "Look, look, if it works, we can we can run it for some time, weeks, months, whatever we need to, and whenever you're comfortable, you make that decision and we make the switch." Yeah. And as a matter of fact, I remember I never forget that night when we did the switch, and and it was it was really interesting because I mean it literally did nobody saw anything happen really because it has been running for so long. Yeah. At the um, and it's funny because after we did this, uh, you know, later customers like Western Union, when we switched, uh, I think the U.S. and Germany were their biggest markets. And when we switched them over, mm. um, people ask you actually, did we actually do the switch? Because we didn't see anything happen. Like no, because it's so seamless. By the time we have tested everything and ran in parallel for so long, it, it is so seamless yeah. that it's a non-event. Like the go live is not a the usual. Oh my gosh, will it work? Won't it work? It's it's almost guaranteed that you know there's no there's not going to be any impact at all so um so we, we were very excited because that was the first time we actually proven our thoughts in our tools that that we built to to do this because we realized that no one will yeah. sign up for this bigger change without risk controls of some sort absolutely know? absolutely yeah. and again you know i know obviously you know 7-eleven were the ones that identified that they wanted this to happen you know with mm-hmm peace of mind and give them the time, I suppose, to, I think what you explained to me is that anything that could have arisen in terms of always the inevitable minor bugs that came up mm-hmm. when it was running in parallel. So it was, it was fixed yeah. in advance of go live. And as you said, going yeah. live is a non-event then, which I think is an incredible achievement. Yeah. It's essentially transferring the risk from go live to 
to well yeah. before go live, before anyone sees anything. And there's still risk. I mean, we still saw problems, but we were able yeah. to fix them. And by the way, I should mention another thing is that uh, as we go to run in parallel, what's interesting is that, and I've done this several times now, you know, across different industries, I've never seen a program where people actually, and the, the, the you know, what the published rules say is, is actually exactly the same in production. In other words, our, yeah. our parallel run actually has two functions. One is de-risking. The other one is actually auditing what's going on in production. Because if we see any differences, yeah. uh, sometimes they can be explained simply by what you think is happening in production is really not quite what's happening in production, right? So in your own system, right? Uh, in, the, in the original system. And so it, it has a lot of benefits that it brings out all the yeah. You know, the nooks and crannies of a system that may have been running sometimes for decades, you know, and being patched and so on. And people have left the company and nobody knows what happened. And yeah. suddenly there's stuff running in production, autopilot that everybody forgot about. You know, so, so we haven't seen that because we're comparing two yeah. systems that we think one should be according yeah. to the current published rules. But what's in production sometimes is yeah. a little bit off, you know, here and there. So, again, yeah. great way to audit your current uh, implementation and, and fix up any sort of things that have been struggling like that. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. love that insight, particularly Emil, because I think you're right. You know, there is so much turnover, particularly in big mm. companies, and nobody has a full picture of exactly how the program is running. Because, as you mm. said, it's been built over time, and things have been changed and fixed, and nobody remembers what happened years beforehand. So, the fact that mm. somebody's long gone, but there's something they built that now you suddenly discover, as you said, in that preparation phase, is quite, um, I suppose, hilarious. But again only hilarious because I don't have to deal with it so <laughs> <laughs> well but, I mean it's people are usually thankful and and we're able yeah. to reconcile these pretty easily but but again it just has that function which is an added benefit to this whole thing you know is that it, it's more than just risk controls it's yeah. amazing yeah no very reassuring I know that's how I felt <laughs> you explained it so thank you for explaining it so clearly again today the second piece of that course. you to me, Emil, um, was just how you think about, I suppose, the future of developing a technology like loyalty methods. Again, none mm -hmm. of us can ever stand still. The industry is moving now at a phenomenal pace. And a mm -hmm. lot of um, RFPs, I suppose, would talk about the technology roadmap and, you know, mm -hmm. exactly how do, you know, platforms think about that. And again, I mm -hmm. think we have a very unique way of thinking about that, which again, is clearly working super well. So, just explain to us, um, my summary recollection is you described it as actually reality is the roadmap. And that to me, again, was um, was a very unique perspective. It was brilliant. So tell us, how do you think about the feature set right. and how you evolve it? Yeah. Right. Uh, and again, that's, you know, uh, that's that's a good way. It's in fact, I had to credit Phil with that. But um, you know, <laughs> like reality is that roadmap. But yeah. it is true. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know, essentially, what 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 is interesting about roadmaps is that um, this idea that we are, uh, I mean, yes, we we do see a lot of industries. We do a lot of research and understand, you know, what's happening with these programs to in order to implement them, right? Mm. And so we do know a lot about what's going on. Yeah. Uh, but to to think that somebody can sit in an ivory tower and sort of invent, you know, a roadmap and say we're going to do this for the next five years or two years or even one year. Yeah. You know, is is um, is a little bit um, it's risky from a business standpoint because we don't know if that's really what's going to be needed. Yeah. You know, and it's sort of um, you know um, 
you know, it's it's difficult to to imagine the kinds of things people would do with our platform and where they will fall short in some areas where they need help mm. uh, with features and and general general ideas that would be implemented. So what what we think about when we when we think about roadmap is we base it almost, I would say. There's a waiting there, but but we based it a lot of it on what's happening in reality in production today and what people are struggling with on a daily basis and how yeah. their ideas about what they want to do are changing. And that's an interesting thing because uh, as as you know, um, you know, as, as Ford said once, you know, if I asked people what they wanted, they would say a faster horse, not yeah. a car, because they couldn't imagine that, right? So the the thing with with the you know the the, the thinking of of our clients evolves once they get on our platform. Um, that's when they start really start to think about things proactively. And again, it it is the nature of this complex world that until you see something, you don't know, you know, what you actually need to do. You you sort of have to have some physical experience with the product, with the platform, with the, with the loyalty space itself, you know, and how it's changing. So the ability to make these quick changes is really what we're trying to, to focus on rather than sort of have these. Yeah. Grand ideas that they sort of invest massively and then sort of you know find out that the market's moved on and nobody cares or there's some big other problem that has to be solved. So yeah. I think reality again, we we are very much grounded in the field, trying to understand what people are really struggling with. Number one, if they're struggling with anything, yeah. and secondly, is there is there uh, something that they're realizing after using the platform and after after rolling out a lot of promotions? Um, that that is that is suddenly a realization that we can leverage to build new features. That and of course we take them and we generalize them and make them, you know, a little bit more broad usually uh, to to be able to capture all of the you know related use cases. But but that's that's the majority of our roadmap revolves around making sure mm. that we can respond quickly to the needs of like next month or you know something like that, and not the needs of like two years down the road that we might think we know what they are, but but a lot of times that's not. Yeah. You know, it's not very accurate and not, there's a lot of risk in that decision to, 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 to go that far. Right. So, well, you know what I'm also hearing Emil coming mm-hmm. through, mm-hmm. which is just coming to mind as you're explaining it. I often hear mm-hmm. brands really, you know, when they're maybe dealing, you know, with a particular platform, they sometimes feel that there's a very long time that they have to wait to get mm-hmm. something that, as you've just described, they've realized they need to get that mm-hmm. on development roadmap but it sounds like you are doing that every single day that it's actually (laughs) that that is the overall approach and I love that because you know fundamentally you know how else can I be sure that the problems that arise in my business today which are going to arise are going Mm -hmm. to that's taken on by a partner and solved rather than again put onto a roadmap where you know it might have to wait a very long time to come into production Right, absolutely. I think, and I think that's the um, that's. I think what you're saying here is is yes, the the uh, the time to market on these ideas and features is cannot be like six months or or a year, which is a lot of times what happens with with platforms is that they put it on a backlog and yeah. And again, yes, there, there has to be a process, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but what we try to emphasize is is the agility of it, and, and sort of talk about weeks versus you know six months or a year or something, you know. And again, it, it gets tougher as you get more clients. I, I I see that too, and as we have a broader, um, you know, you know, we have different industries. So Western Union's financial, Seven Eleven's um, retail. Yeah. You know, we got BP, we've got Speedway, yeah. uh, we've got MGM gaming. You know, it's just a lot of different pieces now to this puzzle. And so yeah. what, what our challenge is as a business is to allocate our resources, especially the ones that are building product out, 
yeah. in such a way that we shift the emphasis onto current current you know current understanding of the field and and what that what that means in the next mm. few weeks to 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 even a quarter, a quarter max you know so i think that's that's yeah. kind of our our thinking about that it's is to get emphasize agility and and try to use our resources to to yeah. to deliver that to the maximum we can absolutely right? yeah, yeah. And agility combined i think with quite a bit of speciality if i'm not mistaken as well and the one that really impressed me, and I know we're going to have them on the show at some point soon, mm-hmm. is MGM Resorts. And of Absolutely. course, gaming is a heavily regulated industry. And again, it was only when we met that I really started to understand that every time somebody uses the slot machine, it's a <laughs> transaction that you've got to capture, you've got to recognize, track, and obviously reward. So Anything that you can share in terms of the gaming industry, I feel that's a sector that it must be so sophisticated, so complex, and super exciting to work in. It absolutely is. In fact, uh, it's, it's one of my favorite places to get personally involved. You know, with, with things um, there is there is a large, especially MGM. MGM owns, you know, I would say about sixty percent of the strip or so. Um, you know, it's it's a pretty, Amazing. it's a pretty good. Um, yeah, it's it's huge, and it's so uh, the amount of. Um, uh, as you said, regulation and complexity within the gaming business to begin with, which then combines with food and beverage and hotel, yeah. um, you know, spa and sort of all these other things that that go with it. Yeah. Uh, different business lines, essentially. And so you're mixing several lines of business. So uh, I think what's interesting about that is it was able to leverage our ability so to, to, to ingest activities that we call polymorphic, which really means can assume many shapes. So in other words, I can have a hotel transaction and the next one could be, you know, yeah. a slot machine. The next one could be a table. The next one could be a restaurant bill. You know, yeah. all these things come to us and we are, uh, platforms, um, polymorphic activities are able to sort of shape um, these transactions in a way that the platform can, you know, ingest them and, and sort of organize them without getting confused between the different lines of business and yeah. allowing some control over how, how this is done so so for the gaming side you're right one of the interesting things we noticed on the gaming side is how granular it is as you said you know some uh, 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 active player can go and, and do you know hundreds yeah. of transactions a day right yeah. which doesn't happen with 7-eleven which is quite frequent but they don't go you know to 7-eleven seven you know 100 times a day yeah. um it doesn't it doesn't um it doesn't resemble any other thing that we've seen and also the earn is very granular every single transaction gives you a little bit of currency not a lot and so when you try to do redemptions and things and try to you know track all the all the behind yeah. the scenes all the accounting yeah. uh, there's a lot of granularity to that which which is something that uh is, is very different from mm. from other industries and so we, we found that yeah, yeah uh, it, it was a good test for a platform in terms of granularity and ability to handle you know a redemption that covers maybe hundreds of accruals maybe even thousands in some cases right yeah. um so so that's yeah. that's kind of like um one of one of the most interesting things about this this yeah, world, indeed. I would say. Yeah, and of course you're predominantly there talking, I suppose, about the the mass market in terms of what MGM Resorts is doing. But I guess mm-hmm. the top tier as well would have its own, I'm sure, extraordinary insights. Which again, we won't get into <laughs> today. But mm-hmm. I can just imagine again the scale of the you know the the big rollers, you know, in terms of what. Abs- yes. Absolutely. 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 Um, I, I would say that uh, this is, you're right, that this is actually a variability. So what, what customer base you're serving and uh, their their tiering system uh, does a great job of, of managing that, yeah. you know, um, 
in terms of like who, who is what level. And of course, the noir is, is the best level, the top level. And that's where, as you said, the big rollers come in and, and they have to be, um, you know, things have to be done there that, that are really very personal. You have the host and dealing with them and so on. And yeah. so the, the concept of loyalty there, there becomes very personal, very, very close like yeah. as a relationship. And so we have to support that with our technology in ways that are not the same as what we would do for mass yeah. mass, you know, uh, marketing and, and, and things that are larger segments, I wouldn't say mass marketing, larger segments, you know, yeah. that are of the population that are lower tiers. Right. Yeah. So, um, very good point actually. Yeah. 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 No, can't wait to talk with them. So listen, <laughs> you know, I suppose what I, you know, tend to hear a lot from the brand side of meal is, you know, there are so many platforms out there. It is mm. a very crowded and dare I say it confusing place. So, you know, if you were sitting on the brand side, you know, how would you be thinking about evaluating a platform? So if you were sitting opposite to where you are today, this gives you a chance to <laughs> maybe shine a little bit in terms of how you think about it. But genuinely, most of this audience mm-hmm. are brand side and it's it's their opportunity mm-hmm. to go, well, why would I think about loyalty methods versus any other tech out there? So what's what's your pitch? What would you say they should be thinking about that you guys can support them with that uh, that you're you're super proud of? Right. Um, it's it's a very very good question. I think I think one of the things that uh, we have realized very early on, even starting with Alaska Airlines, is just how many systems participate in a in a loyalty yeah. and customer engagement execution you know, yeah. for any any kind of um, Mm-hmm. program. And so uh, one of the things that I think really matters is to, again, you're right about the marketplace. It is confusing. There are a lot of very cool looking products that do somewhat um, different, but sometimes overlapping things, right? So it sometimes becomes very difficult. And of course, all of them want to be, you know, front and center in, in a brand's world, right? That's that's natural, right? They want to, you know, to be, mm. so they will tell you that, you know, uh, we do this and that, and, and so they expand their, 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 you know, their use case as much as they can. And, and so it becomes very difficult to put together a picture that says, "Hey, what? How do we? How do we organize all of these tools into a system that works? That that actually produces the kind of um, experiences for our customers that they can benefit from, and we can learn from." as marketers, right? So, so, so that, that I think is a key challenge for a lot of companies and it's very noisy in the marketplace, of course, sales and, and, and advertising and just, just a lot of things happen that confuse people. So I think, I think what we have done basically from our side, and, and I think that's how we approach just about any project is we have a, a model, we call it the CX machine, the customer experience machine. And essentially that model tries to categorize all the systems that exist in the company, including Reactor CX, if they're if they are a client, and where do they fit into the landscape? And so um, there's a there's a channel, um, you know, there's, there's a bunch of channels like POS and kiosks and you know front desk and so on, yeah. and call center and I guess. And then there's there's operational systems like our platform, but there's also tools like uh, customer service um, tools and and other things like that that are operational. Then there's data a data layer that does purging and archiving and and mm. enrichment and so on. And then there's the BI layer, which these days is probably the most important layer yeah. um, for modeling and, and, and reporting and so on. And mm. so those layers of, of, of this picture, and you can see it on our website, we have that model actually published there. Um, this is what we use to actually understand anyone's landscape. I walk into a company, I want to basically, it's, it's almost like putting together an outfit, you know, for somebody. And you yeah. say, you know what, 
let's see what you have in your wardrobe, you know, and how does that fit on your person? You know, like how, how would you look if we put all these things together? Would it, would it look terrible or can we make it flow nicely? You know, and, and if you don't have something, you know, maybe you go at it, you know, you, you get another accessory. But, but the point is that we, we're trying to take our model, our, our, our way of thinking about the landscape in, and, and then translating that to, um, you know, how would your company uh, use these tools together and mm-hmm. integrate them together to deliver a connected, mm. fluid customer experience, but also marketer experience. In other words, the marketer has to be able to make sense of how this machine works and what what yeah. it offers to, to them for learning from the customer. Because I think that's, that's really essentially, our, our, I think this is something that we're very, very big on is that, mm. uh, you know, just having our platform doesn't make the loyalty program great, you know. Uh, what makes a program great is the ability to learn quickly and, and change it in ways that, that increase the value for consumers and, and that could only be done in production learning from the actual behaviors that you see. So, yeah. you know, essentially we see ourselves not so much as just giving you a thing that will make your loyalty program work as much as also giving you a learning tool that can quickly tell you what kind of program you really need to be putting out there, right? And how to change your current offerings right? based yeah. on, on, on actual production validated learning from your own customers. And yeah. that's different for every business, you know? Totally. Because <laughs> let's face it, if I had a, 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 a tool that could make a better loyalty program than seven rewards, for example, automatically somehow, uh-huh. then I'd be a competitor for, <laughs> you know, for, for 7-Eleven or something. You know, it, 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 it's, it's hard to, um, yeah. to know uh, what matters unless you actually test it with customers and see what, what they think and how they behave. So. Yeah, no, and, and that's really useful. But even I also wanted to um, go back to something that you said last mm-hmm. time that as well, Emil, which is, I think a lot of uh, program managers, when they do replatform, they often mm-hmm. see it as the opportunity perhaps to also launch a new proposition and trying mm-hmm. to do both things at one time can probably, you know, stress everybody out. Like, so <laughs> I think your advice seems to be, you know, let's get the, you know, the de-risked, you know, platform proposition up and running and then evolved new propositions to get those enhanced returns once the existing program is absolutely optimized. Have I captured that correctly, you know, from, from what we talked before? Absolutely, yes. Uh, so that's that's a, a core concept that, especially when there's an existing loyalty program, it's not new. If it's new, then there's no replacement. But most of the things we do are replatforming, replacing, enhancing, right? Yeah. And so I think it's very crucially important that mm-hmm. you you before you um, you start you know running huge improvements on the program, yeah. that that the program be transformed from the existing infrastructure and, and technology and platforms into yeah. its new platform, right? And so I think that is key to, to begin with because it also enables comparability, right? Our whole methodology relies on yeah. first do no harm, you know, take the take the existing piece that yeah. is, is running in production and do something with the new platform that mimics that enough that we are confident we haven't broken anything, right? Okay. And that it's, it's operating the same way, but now on a much better tool set right yeah. that that immediately allows you as soon as you make the switch then you can make rapid improvements and customer centric innovations that you want to do nice. um at, at, at that at that at that point and i think it's it's what's what's interesting is that I, i'm glad you brought this up because a lot of people um it's sort of they're of course impatient getting a new platform why are we doing the same thing you know yeah. that's i think the first question yeah. we get asked and and i also have to always have to explain the same thing over and over is that okay 
Yeah. If you if you have a person that, that's got a weak heart and you're going to do a heart transplant to to, to because you, they're walking only and you want them to run and sprint, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, you first have to focus on getting them walking with the new heart and then they start running, right? So and so there's a lot of complexity and risk and, and to, to mitigate in just to just doing that. Yeah. And so I think our 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 you know our way of thinking about this is that yeah. you know once once a new platform is in. Yeah, it, it can get you can accelerate very quickly, and that's happened to all of our customers. They can attest to that. It's it's it's, yeah. it's you can you can start doing things that were previously impossible, you know, very quickly within within weeks after launching, right? So, yeah. uh, so it really pays to uh, to sort of be patient. It's okay. Let's get it off the old, yeah, the old infrastructure, and let's put on the new. Yeah, and then then we can we can go crazy on it. <laughs> so to put Have it, yeah. I love the analogy yeah. of the new heart. So you're absolutely right. <laughs> Let's get walking with the new heart and then we'll try running. So makes perfect yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're disconnecting a lot of things. The heart has a lot of, connect, you know, a lot of things that you have to reconnect after you disconnect by right, the old one. So the same thing is with these systems. Every, it's talking, loyalty talks to so many things, all these channels, and you have to yeah. disconnect it and sort of reconnect it back. And so that that in itself is a, is a pretty... Um, you know, um, challenging thing to do, right? Absolutely. The final thing you told me, which again, as a non-techie person, you know, coming (laughs) from a business perspective, what it did resonate with me was this idea that there are levels of ability, I guess, even on the client side always, where your platform needs to be available for a junior campaign Mm -hmm. manager to immediately switch on a new promotion, but also you might have something super complicated that you do want a developer to be able to kind of plug Mm -hmm. in, customize something. So just, I suppose, that scale of, um, I don't know whether agility or sophistication maybe perhaps is a good word, Mm -hmm. but I like the fact that you you want to cater for for the actual user's ability rather than a mm-hmm. standard interface where everybody's either overwhelmed or underwhelmed. <laughs> you know that you do <laughs> right. cater for what the actual needs of the individual users might be. You know, at different stages right. of the program. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's that's a very good point. Uh, so it's it's um, yeah. I, I think you you put it um, exactly right. Is that that a lot of times there are there there. I mean. You know, there are campaigns and there are promotions and things that run all the time and they, they, they change, but they change very slightly. You know, you just change the percentages or whatever it is that they yeah. reward a little bit. But but it's, it's frankly the same promotion, right? You're saying buy three things of this kind and in a yeah. month and, and get a bonus and you're just varying the bonus or the things, but you're not really varying the type of promotion, right? So those are run of the mill and people like 7-Eleven, you know, they, they roll them out by the hundreds, you know, every six weeks or so there's a marketing period. So so you need volume there and you need people that do not need to be super users or highly skilled to produce these kinds of, um, you know, marketing periods that, that launch every six weeks. And yeah. so, so for those people, you want something that is easy and just copy and paste kind of thing and, and, and it's fairly risk-free uh, and, and does not require, you know, any kind of significant technology, technological experience, right, to do that. Yeah. Uh, but then at the same time, uh, you want to also innovate and not just repeat the same promotion types all over and over again, because customers are always interested in, in new types of engagements. And, uh, you know, um, so then then there's there's the need to be able to have, um, you know, customizations, as you mentioned, to the mm-hmm. point where our, our platform is fully programmable. In fact, you can go really deep and do a lot of things. Yeah. To the point where you're basically building your own plugins for it and sort of, of building building a system that sort of 
you know, adds your own functionality to the to the platform in, mm-hmm. in the form of these plugins and functions and so on. So um, yeah. again, this is this is technology speak. And again, nobody really says that you have to do that for everything. And I think the other thing that platform is able to do is once you do these um, sort of highly technical tasks, there's ways to package it and templatize it so that, that then they can be used the same way that the existing simpler promotions were used, right? So that's yeah. the whole idea is to say, hey, we we let your your um you know your users work with with the simple ones and without having to have a lot of technology experience. But yeah. we also open the door for you to go and and mm. and and do something really interesting and yeah. then package it for your end users that are not as as technolo- technology savvy uh-huh. um, that they can use it. And so I think that's the that's the balance we're always trying to strike um, to make that that trade-off that it's not a black box that has free switches on it that you can only switch these three things. Yeah. And it's not a it's not a programming language that you have to learn just to do even basic stuff. <laughs> so um, it's it's in the middle. It's like where you're, you're trying to balance it, you know, yeah. and say some yeah. things are easy. A few clicks away, some things are not so easy, but they're possible. Yeah, right? amazing, <laughs> so, amazing. Yeah. Wow, there's so much coming through, Emil. Um, it's certainly a very exciting time for you. Uh, want to congratulate you all your recent wins. I know BP was another recent one. Yeah, absolutely. About- so an incredible client portfolio. I guess mm-hmm. you know, my final question, if you were to, to think about what you're most proud of in the, um, I guess, relatively short life of, of loyalty methods, um, <laughs> what would you point to? What is it that you're particularly proud that you guys have achieved? Yeah, I think I think and we talk about loyalty methods. We've been around for 15 years, but uh, the, the platform itself, more about Six, I would say, right. So the last six years have been prominent. Um, but you're right about that part. Um, yeah. You know, if if I had to be honest, I I think um, the 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 most um, the thing that I'm proud the most is that we are actually able to not just bring a platform to the place okay. where we're trying to to work to, to the company that we're trying to work with, but actually build um, bring bring a, a method methodology for implementation and something we call it thread sync and it's it's something that uh, you know most people underappreciate when they're looking at platforms they're just looking at features and, and how the ui looks and how easy it is to use and all that which are all important things yeah but the real thing that is very very difficult which we are that's our differentiator essentially is that we can walk into a very large organization that is very complicated and okay. people are very busy doing their daily jobs of and course. put in a yeah. change that impacts almost all of the systems, right? Including backend, finance, and everything, liability. And we're able to do that with our process in a way that does not uh, enormously disrupt their lives, right? Because, you know, it's a very big change. So how do we compartmentalize yeah. it in a way that 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 in, it produces that change um, yeah. without uh, creating a lot of risk, first of all, or any risk at all for that matter. And, mm-hmm. and when, and doing it at a scale and doing it across all of these different departments and systems that have to be impacted and, 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 and coming out with a success story uh, yeah. that is beyond just RCX is now in there. It's actually, you yeah. know, fully integrated with all the other systems. And so I think that that methodology, I think is something that I'm proud of. And I'm, I think yeah. um, it, it goes well beyond of just being a SaaS provider. I think, I think we are able to help customers actually succeed versus just acquire a platform. And that's, there's a difference. There is a difference, absolutely. 
And again, you said last time, Emil, it takes a village. And you're absolutely <laughs> right. I think we all know that as loyalty practitioners. <laughs> it can look easy on the outside. It's certainly not easy on the inside. So thank absolutely. you for sharing uh, the story. Um, I don't have any other questions for you today, Emil. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention before we wrap up? Um, I think we've covered most of the interesting aspects of our business, uh, and, and what we do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think we're, um, again, the, the key, the key thing that, um, I think we, we generally want to, when, when people think of loyalty methods, we want them to think that, you know, things get done quickly and it's not risky okay. and essentially they can be done at scale and that we understand large the large clients that we work with has given us the understanding of what it really takes to do that you know it's it's that's i think the key thing is yes we're we're um experts in large mm -hmm. enterprise implementations and, and yeah i think that's that's our, our biggest strength i think so too i'm hearing it coming through emil immense proud and again congratulations we'll of course mm -hmm. make sure to link to both you and loyaltymethods.com uh, in our show notes and of course if anybody's listening and wants to be connected with you they can reach out to me or reach out directly to you so listen i hope we can stay in touch emil i feel like you guys are just starting now to come on the radar as we said no longer uh, a well-kept secret so from my side <laughs> Delighted to be working with you, Emil Sarkissian, CEO of Loyalty Methods. Thank you so much from Let's Talk Loyalty and Loyalty TV. Thank you very much, Paula. Really great. Uh, thank you so much. This show is sponsored by The Wise Marketeer, the world's most popular source of loyalty marketing news, insights and research. The Wise Marketeer also offers loyalty marketing training through its Loyalty Academy, which has already certified over 500 executives in 38 countries as certified loyalty marketing professionals. For more information, check out thewisemarketeer.com and loyaltyacademy.org. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like us to send you the latest shows each week, simply sign up for the Let's Talk Loyalty newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and we'll send our best episodes straight to your inbox. And don't forget that you can follow Let's Talk Loyalty on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And of course, we'd love for you to share your feedback and reviews. Thanks again for supporting the show.